0: Guys, a real privilege uh, to be with you this morning. And I do want to bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in the advanced movement around the world. I had a few of the guys on the global team yesterday say, please send our love to that church. We pray for them regularly. And how cool is that to know that there's people on the other side of the world that are praying for you as a church. And also I want to invite, I want to bring greetings from the church back in, in Cape Town, Common Ground. Those guys are praying for you today too. And uh, this is a church that we hold in our hearts. And so it's a delight for me to be here and to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you. What I want to do real quick is, be, as I come into this space, before I get into what we're going to look at today, is I want to take a moment to pause and to just applaud God's faithfulness and applaud your faithfulness as, as a church and applaud the faithfulness of the leaders in this context. Uh, having your kind of point leader out for a year is not an easy thing. But we all participated in that decision and we believe it's right to do and we back it. Having uh, Sending your other multiple leaders, having your eldership team halved inside of a few months is not an easy thing. But the story of God's faithfulness in this church continues. And I wanna say thank you to the leaders and to the members of this church for your ongoing and continued faithfulness in the purposes of God. Sometimes these kinds of things can be experienced as setbacks and people can lose their confidence and the church can be affected in very real ways, but that is not one tribe's story. And so I wanna say thank you to, to the elders and the deacons and the staff and, and the priesthood of all believers in this church for your faithfulness to God in this season. Well done. And today, I want to tell you, speak to you about something that has for 21 years been a deeply, deeply impacting understanding or kind of elements of theology, good theology that I personally have grappled with. Now, how many of you have heard some sermons in your life? A few sermons? How many of you have heard a lot of sermons in your life? I've heard a lot, a lot of sermons, right? When you're a paid Christian, which is what one of my friends calls me, you, 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 you take extra time to listen to sermons. You guys get a sermon a week. I listen to about five sermons a week, right, on average, just because I love God's Word shaping my heart and I'm addicted to that. But I'll tell you most probably in my 22 years of ministry, and, and the thousands of servants that I've listened to, most probably one that stands out to me that has affected my life personally more than most probably any others, is in 2002, I heard Rigby speaking about a concept I'd never heard of, the Abrahamic covenants. And we as a church actually at that time preached through that. And I I saw this understanding of something I hadn't seen in the scriptures become absolutely foundational to my life in a way that changed the way I saw myself, my Christian identity, and changed the way that I lived out my Christian faith into the world. More recently, even though this has been a theme throughout the years in our church and in my life and my own discipleship and followership of Christ, I more recently have come back to this foundational doctrine of the Abrahamic covenants, And I've started to unpack it, and I want to bring us to it today. This Abrahamic covenant, in essence, is a covenant between God and this man called Abraham, where God singles him out and says, I have singled you out, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And the little kind of tagline that comes out of it for us as Christ followers today is that we are blessed to be a blessing blessed to be a blessing 20 years later this blessed to be a blessing still runs deep and pulses even stronger in my veins and it's my hope that I can transfer some of my enthusiasm around what God calls us into in this core and foundational doctrine today in the limited time that we have because this is a covenantal promise What does covenantal promise mean? It means it's a promise that God has made with Abraham, which still holds true for us as Christ followers today. Say covenantal promise. Okay, remember that. This is secondly a covenantal identity. Can you say that? Covenantal identity. What does that mean? Well, it means that this promise shapes and forms the very nature of who we are. The very nature of who we are and I believe properly understood living out this covenantal promise and living out of this covenantal identity can be for us one of the most life transforming realities as Christ follows even if you have been a Christ follower for some amounts of time this can still change and freshen up and animate and color in how God sees you and what God has called you to. So to understand it, we've gotta go back to Genesis chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, why not you open at Genesis chapter 12, we're gonna just work through the first few verses. And obviously by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, even though we're only 12 chapters into the scripture, a lot has already happened, right? Firstly, God's created and, and He's given us the creation mandate, Genesis 1 verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. That's the creation mandates. But humanity, we know, has rebelled, rebelled against God, and eaten the fruit of false promise that they would become like God, attempting to become like God. So what does God have to do? God has to start again, and He starts again outside of the garden. But it's not long before that is also corrupt and the whole world, the scriptures tell us, is corrupt. And so again, God starts afresh, this time with a new family, Noah and his family. And the wooden ark is something of a foreshadowing, that wooden ark, a foreshadowing of life that comes through death. But even then, it's only a few generations before Noah's offspring are building a tower called Babel And they too are trying to chase after the lie of the garden and and become like God themselves. So God again acts in judgment against them and he confuses them and scatters them as a people. And that's where we come to Genesis chapter 12. And Jesus, sorry, and God again in his mercy moves towards people moves towards humanity, and this is what he says. Listen to these verses. Now the Lord said to Abram. This dude's not even on the radar, right? But God just kind of singles him out, and the Lord said to Abram, and I'm gonna use Abram and Abraham interchangeably because God changes his name just a little later, and we mostly remember him as Father Abraham, not Father Abram, so if I get confused, it's that. of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. What a promise, right? What a moment of undeserved grace for this one individual receiving this promise and this blessing and this favor from the creator of the universe. God just rocks up in Abraham's life. And I love the way that that Abraham's life is something of a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of of blessing and favour and the good news of God coming to your life and to my life. See, Abraham was completely undeserving. How many of us have ever felt undeserving before God? I know that's true for me. He's completely undeserving. As a Chaldean, the reality is he was a moon and star worshipper. There was no religious credentials that drew God to Abraham. Secondly, he was not particularly a character-filled man. Go and read some of Abraham's story, and you will see there's character deficiencies in this guy, right? Nothing of his character attracted the attention of God to Abraham. And then thirdly, there was nothing special about him. Think about Abraham. Economically, he was nomadic. He had no land of his own. Prospects wise, Sarah or Sarai, his wife was barren. So they had no hope of offspring. They had no hope of lineage, all which in that day would have kind of effectively meant that, but they were hopeless, that that they they were in a sense bankrupt in the kind of economic realities of their day and age. No land, no prospects of a future generation or lineage, barren. There was nothing special about Abraham that attracted the attention of God to him. And yet here's the point. God steps into his life and chooses to bless him. Chooses to bless him. And that's my story. And that's so many of your stories in this room. Nothing deserving before God. But God chooses in His grace and His undeserved, unmerited favor and kindness to single you out and to make His self and His blessing known to you. Undeserving as we are, God moves towards us. Maybe you're here today. I know we made a fuss of the visitors just now, but maybe you're maybe still deciding what you believe about all this Christian stuff and this guy called Jesus. Can I encourage you that God wants to move towards you. And we don't see it as a random coincidence that you find yourself here in a venue like this where other people are claiming the name of Christ and we confidently speaking about him. I would dare to venture to say that God is moving towards you. And, and the beautiful thing about Abraham is we see how, the, how these verses end. And so Abraham responds to God and he follows him. And that's the invitation that is wide open to you if you're still considering Christ with us. But here's the other important thing for all of us, right? Abraham's life also teaches us that God doesn't just bless him in all these ways immediately. Yes, God moves towards him in pure, undeserved, unmerited blessing like salvation. God just reaches out to him and says, makes himself known to him. But then we quickly see that God specifically specifically blesses Abraham as he walks in obedience to God's instruction and God's leading in his life. This is so important. See, the promise upon us as the people of God being blessed to be a blessing is a call to trust God with the fullness of our lives. And it requires faith and it requires action on our behalf. Abram had to leave some things behind. Abram had to take some steps of faith. Abram had to take God at his word and follow him. And so let me ask you this morning, as, as you are a Christ follower and you're saying, yes, I want to find myself in that place of saying yes to God more and more, are there things in your life that God would today freshly be calling you to leave behinds? Are there fresh steps of faith that right now you you know you need to be taking in God? Abraham had to take God at his word and to follow him in obedience. And I believe as Abraham's seed, we too need to find ourselves in that place, that posture, that position of faith and followership of our Lord and Savior. Personally, I've been so deeply challenged. We've recently just very bravely done a sermon series back at home in Common Ground called God and Sexuality, where we've spoken to kind of all the the biggest topics facing our world with regards to sexuality. And as as we've spoken to all of these things, one of the deepest things that has impacted me personally is that one of our guys, when he was preaching, he said, man, for people who are wanting to be radical, and their followership of Jesus and orientate their sexuality in obedience to him, the church should be the safest and most inspiring place to be a radical follower of Jesus. Because you should be surrounded by a chorus of other people who are radically saying no to self and saying yes to King Jesus in so many ways. And I find myself kind of going, man, if I'm asking these people to forgo elements of, of, of sexual orientation and, and, and give themselves to Jesus in radical ways, what am I doing in my life to inspire that kind of radical followership of Jesus? What am I doing in my life to say, man, you've got to say yes to King Jesus in every way. That's the call of the church. We are called to say yes to him with the fullness of our lives. This has deeply challenged me. Jeremiah 17 promises us this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruits. That's God's promise over us as we place our trust in him and as we walk with him. See, this is good news for us, right? God promises Abraham three things which we're going to unpack this morning. Firstly, that God would bless him. Secondly, that God would give him an inheritance. And thirdly, that God would make him a blessing to many others around him. We're going to unpack that in a minute. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you, you're kind of asking the question, but but why are we worried about this one guy in the Bible? Why Abraham? Why, why are we so fussed about his blessing and how, how God spoke to him? What's that got to do with me today and here in Nairobi in 2022? Well, the truth is that the Scriptures actually speak about that blessing that God gives to Abraham having four audiences in mind. Firstly, Yes. This is definitely God's blessing to Abraham specifically. But the scriptures also clearly make it uh, apparent that this is to Abraham and Abraham's seed. That's the, the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. They too were kind of inheritors of this promise and this blessing of Abraham. Thirdly, this promise actually scripture tells us is also for Jesus. Jesus is a fulfillment of this blessed to be a blessing, that the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And then, lastly and fourthly, this promises for all of us who are in Jesus. So, this promises for you, if you're a, a son and a daughter, if you're a Christ follower, listen to Galatians 3, verse 7 through 9. Know that, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, how many of us are of faith this morning? We too are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, this promise of Genesis 12 is a promise to all of us, to Abraham, to the Jews, to Jesus, and to you and I this morning. And I believe that this is a life-altering identity matter for all of us as God's people. For so many years, I've found that little saying, blessed to be a blessing, resounding in my life resounding in my discipleship, resounding in my leadership, resounding in the decisions that we make as a church. We are blessed to be a blessing. Roll up in my car to the robots and there's someone begging at the corner and normally I'm kind of a little apprehensive. We give, but we do so very structurally. We don't want our helping to hurt and create extra problems with homelessness in the city and things like that. But in a moment, that little phrase comes to me, blessed to be a blessing. And I feel that as a prompting of God to be over and above generous. And the next time the church is doing something and hey guys, should we send someone there? Should we send some resources there? Let's do it. Let's make sure that we are living this up. We're blessed to be a blessing. This is the identity that we are, a covenant identity that we are included in. One tribe, you are called out by God. God. And he has promised that he will bless you. And he has promised that through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Can you receive it this morning? Do you see it? I think this is so important for us to grasp in our world today. Think about it. In our world today, we live in a very unique season in human history. COVID realities, financial challenges, theological grapples, culture wars, leadership setbacks, rampant individualism, and the pinnacle of the pursuit of progress. All of these things are just kind of things that are happening in our world today and it's so easy for us to lose uh, kind of hold of and sight of who God has caused us and called us to be. And here's my leadership fears as I'm in churches in different contexts. My leadership fears that the church in some areas is buttoning down the hatches and Christians in some ways are buttoning down the hatches on their lives. Then they're circling the wagons and they're saying, let's take care of me and mine and let's look out for ourselves because times are tough. And I believe that that is a a shutting down of the purposes of God in your life, in your family, in your church community. When we button down the hatches or circle the wagons or when we get insular, we miss out on being the very people God has called us to be. Here's my provocative, it's provocative title for this message if you want one. Not Another Damn Church. Not another damn church, one tribe. Can I call you to be a river church that the life of God does not get damned up in you, that the life and provision and blessing and goodness of God does not just flow to you, but flows through you as a river church to the world. Not another damn Christian, not another damn church. Let's be a river church. Let's live in the fullness of who God's called us to be. Let's look at this. Beautiful outworking in the New Testament today. Let's look at firstly God's promise of blessing to us. God's promise of blessing. Galatians 3 verse 13 and 14 speak so powerfully of how this promise to Abraham gets worked out in our lives today. It says this verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This passage tells us three very important things about the blessing that we have received. One, we are no longer longer under condemnation. That's a powerful reality for us. We no longer need to wake up in the morning and say, am I a person who displeases my Creator? If you have stood in Romans 5, grace, then you stand in a place where He is pleased with you and you have received a righteousness which is not your own and He has condemned your sin and, and He has dealt with it at the foot of the cross. You are no longer in, under condemnation. Secondly, we are welcomed in by God. Sons and daughters adopted, drawn in, called by Him. And we receive the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living in us, guiding us, empowering us. This is beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. We have been blessed in our relationship with God. But importantly, and here's the danger. I think there's a lot of churches that preach the blessing of God is like hashtag so blessed, right? That kind of blessing of God. Importantly, nowhere does God say that the promise of blessing equals an ease of life. Jesus actually said in this life, you're going to have trouble. Promise. Guaranteed. He said it. We believe it. We've all experienced it, right? As we all know, He said that following Him would be hard at times. But here's what He promises us. That He will always be with us. He promised that to Abraham. And I will show you. And He continues by His Spirit to show us that the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the counselor, the comforter, the guide to our lives. And here's what I'm realizing. Often it's doing the, the hard thing that is the right thing in God. So much of the blessings of God are actually found in this pursuit of him where we're not kind of saying yes to the creature comforts blessings of life, but actually saying yes to the deeper dynamics of the followership of Jesus. And in that his blessing flows to our lives. This is a contrary to popular opinion kind of perspective on this, right? But hard doesn't always mean bad. Often it's in those places that the blessing of God is wonderfully and beautifully experienced. Abraham saw this as he moved away from his country and his kindred and his father's house. We are best ple- a blessed people. One tribe, you are a blessed people. God has sought you. He's sought you out. God has dealt with your sin and your shame. He has poured his love out in your hearts. God has given you meaning and purpose in this life. God has gifted you with himself, his spirit. And he said he would never leave us or forsake us. One Tribe Church, can you recognize the blessing of God on your life? It's beautiful. I want to tell you a story real quick, story that makes this so real to my life in my followership of Jesus. See, I grew up, tell me if I've told you the story, I can never remember But I grew up in an Afrikaans community. I'd been in the States until I was about 10, and then I came back to an Afrikaans boarding school in kind of the countryside in the Boerland, very wine farmy kind of area in South Africa. And I was about 12 or 13 when I was introduced to a most beautiful thing. You know what it's called? Soki dancing. It's kind of like a more traditional kind of Afrikaans dancing that the people in the country do a bit more of, right? And, and I got introduced to this, this thing, but the first time I got introduced to it, I, I was like, no, this looks a bit stupid, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why these people are doing these funny dances. And I then got to, to high school and I was about 13 years old, maybe going on 14, and I went to the first of these big high school socky dances. And what did I do as a 14-year-old in grade eight, kind of a junior in the high school? Where was I to be found? well, it was me and my five buddies hanging out in the bathroom, right? And then we were chilling in the bathroom and this guy comes in, his name's Ati, good Afrikaans name, right? And Ati comes into the bathroom and he says to me, hey Ryan, now Ati, you got to know something about Ati, Ati is a grade 12, he's a senior, he's on the first rugby team, so he's one of the the, the men in the church, not the church, the school, he's one of the He's one of the, the dudes in the school. But I happen to know his sister. She's in my grade. And so he just, Ryan, why aren't you dancing? So I was like, no, man, that dance looks funny. And he's like, no, 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 you must learn it. It's great fun. And I'm like, no, no, no I don't want anything to do with it. And then he said game-changing words. He said, I'll get Liesl to teach you to dance. <laughs> now, those are game-changing words because in kind of classical high school musical, Ati, the big rugby jock, is dating Liesl, the prettiest girl in the school. She's in grade 12. I'm in grade 8. I was like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) And what happens next is Ati literally kind of says, cool, come with me. He walks back into the school hall where a whole bunch of people are dancing. He goes over to Liesl and he says, Liesl, you must teach Ryan to dance. I am quivering in my boots. The prettiest girl in the whole high school is walking across the floor to me. All my mates are jeering and, oh, go, Ryan, come on, you got this. Anyway, Liesl comes over to me and she says, Ryan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand in my hands, and I want you to put this hand over here on my hip, at which point I almost fainted, Right. <laughs> And, he says, and she says, and now I just want you to, to follow me. Listen to the music, follow me, and let's do these steps. And so here we go. For, for about two minutes, we walk around like this, me staring at my feet, standing on her toes time and time again. And after two, about two minutes of terrible dancing, she just stops. And she says, Ryan, 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 we're getting this all wrong. She says, I want you to look me in the eyes These are words that a 14-year-old boy will never forget. She says, Ryan, I want you to look me in the eyes. I want you to feel my body against your body. I want you to listen to the music. What was happening was she was staring at the top of my head because I was so fixated on trying to get my feet right and two-step and not step on her and all these different little things that the whole point was she said she didn't feel like she was dancing with me. She felt like she was dancing with this robot that was going through the motions. And so she said those words, put your body, feel my body against your body, listen to the music, look into my eyes and let's dance. And we did, right? And it's a memorable moment that I'll never forget. But why do I tell you that story? Because here's my observation in the church worldwide, is that in a room this size, half the people are doing robotic Christianity. You're going through the motions. Do your quiet time. Step, Don't step here. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, get back on the stage. <laughs> and robotic Christianity is lifeless and it's dead. And the the kind of King of the universe is standing there and he's saying, you're just going through the motions and I have blessed you and I have purpose for you and the music of the gospel should be ringing loud in your life and you should feel the joy of the body of Christ around you, community and the joy of being in step with the spirit and you should dance. Church, we cannot be robotic Christians. We are blessed. We are blessed in so many ways. We need to live in and live out that blessing. So what is the second promise here in this? Genesis 12. The second promise is that of inheritance for us. And I am speed up. The Lord said to Abraham, go to the land, I will show you. See, the reality is that doesn't sound like much to us, but to them in that time, to the people of God, going to the land of promise became a major theme of the whole Old Testament. And throughout the whole Old Testament, we see this people, they are longing for, desiring and moving towards a land of promise, a land of milk and honey, where the purposes of God and the provision of God and the beauty and bounty of God is all there for their enjoyments. But here's the tragedy of the Old Testament and here's the tragedy of so many of our lives so much of the time. The story of the Old Testament, the story of the people of God moving towards the Promised Land but so often not coming into the Promised Land. Only Joshua and Caleb, in fact, of the original people of God moving towards the promised land are a different spirited people. The scriptures say that Joshua and Caleb were different spirited and they become the only ones not to lose their inheritance of the promised land. And the book of Joshua describes the process by which, Josh, uh, by which Caleb and Joshua inherit the land. And that's through three, three things. It says obedience to God, courage and perseverance. See, the truth is when we receive the blessing of God because we're Abraham's seed and we are welcome into that in Christ, we don't just passively just receive it. No, there's, there's a blessing and an inheritance which we actively need to take hold of. Church, you have an inheritance to actively take hold of. But how do they give themselves to obedience to God and courage and Perseverance. I think they do it because they have an enduring faith, an enduring faith. And in, in, in we see this in, in kind of the Hebrews 11 dynamic. It speaks about this enduring faith in God and his plans and his promises being the best for them to pursue. Christ follower in 2020, here's your main discipleship challenge. You don't always believe that God's plans and purposes are the best plans and purposes for you to pursue with your life. And to the degree that you don't believe that you don't inherit the fullness of the plans and purposes of God. Can you see the catch 22? Obedience to God and persistence and, and faith. All of those things cause us not to compromise in lesser things, but to, to follow him wholeheartedly and give ourselves wholeheartedly to his plan and purpose. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Working wholeheartedly in the purposes of God, that's obedience and courage and perseverance. And we all need it to inherit the purposes of God in our lives. Thirdly then, in this Abrahamic covenant, God promises us that he's not just gonna bless us and he not just has an inheritance for us, today that he wants us to walk into and eventually that he wants us to welcome, be welcomed into. God promises to make us a blessing to others. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Church, do you realize that God is calling you to be a blessing? He is calling you to be a blessing. When I read the One Tribe mission statement on the pen, I'm not sure if that's the whole thing, but somebody gave me a pen to sign something. I read the mission statement. A church of all nations, a church for all nations. Sounds like this Abrahamic covenant dynamic, right? Being lived out through this local church. And the reality is that you have been blessed. This church is six years old and yet God's already using it to do phenomenal things in His purposes in the city and and far beyond. See, I'm intrigued when I look at the Old Testament by the stories of the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box in which the presence of God, you know, kind of temporarily dwells. Do you know that you are a modern day Ark of the Covenant? Because the presence of God, the person of God, dwells within you. And why I like those stories is because as you see this golden box being taken around the countryside, blessing comes to those places. Because God is a God of blessing and wherever He is, He brings that blessing and abundance and and flourishing happens. And so today, when you go into your workspace this week, when you go into the sports field or into your classroom, you are a modern day ark of the covenant called by God, not just to go and be there, but to be a blessing when you're there. How much life and goodness is coming through you to the places that God has called you to. Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine before people so that they may glorify me. Jesus used so many different analogies of how we are called to be a blessing in our worlds. We're called to be fruit bearing trees and vines. We're called to be fishes of men, salt and light, influence to the world. We're called to good works. We're called to be good neighbors. You are Abraham's seed church and you are blessed to be a blessing. One tribe, can I implore you? Don't be a damn church, be a river church allow the life of God and the blessing of God to flow through you. I recognize you're already doing it, right? You're allowing God's blessing like a river to flow through you to places like Cairo and Dubai and England and partnering with us as advance. We're partnering in blessing and strengthening churches all over the globe. You're sending leaders to, to go bless and strengthen. we in many different places, sowing faithfully as a church into missions and ministry and helping the poor in this city, and reaching out. Beautiful. Can I encourage you in these things? Can I invite you, church, to turn up the dial? This is not a matter of, hey, we should most probably get around to that, take that step, not step on God's toes. No, we get invited into the joy of our one and only lives, counting in these beautiful ways. Practically speaking, in the last two days I've been here, just out of conversations, none of the leaders know I'm about to do this. But in the last two days I've been here, I've kind of asked a few questions and, guys, what's on your heart? What are you trusting God for? How can how can this church take the next step forward? What would it look like for this church to to step further into its inheritance? I've And, I'd, and I've identified five things, quickly. If you, practically speaking, are looking for a way to allow your life To not just be blessed, but to be a river of blessing beyond yourself to others. Here's five options for you. Firstly, trust with the leadership team of this church for God's future permanent venue for this church to become and be all that God wants it to be in this city. I believe, and I've seen this over and over again, when God gives base churches, their own facility. He multiplies ministry like nothing else. There's no other single tool that is more effective in multiplying ministry than having a home of your own. I wanna trust God with you for it. Won't you add that to your prayer list? Secondly, the poor. The poor, if you're looking for an avenue to be a blessing, won't you team up with those that are serving the poor in this city? There is so much need and real suffering all around us. Why don't you think about how you can get involved in serving the least And the last, as Jesus has called you to. Thirdly, giving. I'm delighted that many people in this church are giving. But it's a whole tribe team sport, right? Giving is not something that some people do and everybody else can't. You know the bring and share? where It's like, hey, guys, we're having a bring and share. If my family gets together and says, we're having a bring and share, and only a few people bring and everybody shares, after about the third one of those, someone in the family is going to go, hey, not cool, Not cool that only some of us are bringing and everybody's sharing. We all gotta bring so we can all share. Giving in the context of community is a team sport. We all get to play. And again, resources in a base church like this become one of the most catalytical components of being a blessing beyond yourselves. Church, if that's not you, can I call you to recognize the blessing you've received and make sure that you're not a dam but you're a river. Fourthly, life group leaders, I hear a rumor that there's several fantastic people in this community that could easily step into leadership, but for whatever reason, are holding off on that. Maybe you're involved in a bunch of other things, and I'm sure God's blessing you and using you through that, but this is the only family Christian community that God has called you to. And I want to say, if God's put leadership on your life, it's going to take dozens and dozens more people putting up their hands saying, yep, I'm willing to serve host, facilitate a life group, lead in that way. That becomes a catalytic thing to community. Maybe you want to speak to one of the leaders about that. And specifically when I was writing that down, I felt like God saying he wanted to give a Joshua and Caleb spirit to some older people in this community that you would still be found sharpening your sword in the senior seasons of your life. Don't write yourself off. God has purpose for you, just like he did for Caleb and Joshua. Keep sharpening the sword, but start swinging it too. Lastly, kids' ministry. One of the prayers I've heard, we've prayed into it in a few different leadership contexts that I've been uh, been in yesterday and today. If you want to, think about this for a moment, if you want to live out the Great Commission to reach and disciple people. I cannot think of a more effective ministry than in kids ministry to do that. Because you have the opportunity to disciple young lives in a profound way in these younger years of being able to shape and form their understanding of Jesus, their character and their ways. And here's what we have started experiencing in our church. As the world becomes more and more anti the church, the world still listens to us on three things. The world still listens to the church on marriage, on parenting and when it comes to suffering, death. And the world is willing to listen to us. And we've had an amazing story, and I I trusted and prophesied upon this church of kids bringing their families to church. When you can create a life-giving expression and experience of children's ministry, Your kids will want to be there. They'll want to bring their friends and their, their friends will bring their parents to church. There are now dozens of families in our church whose kids brought them to church. It's one of the most effective missions fields available to the church today. But we need this. We need men and women who are willing to step up and say, I will be counseled. I will not just receive, but I will I will arrive to give and participate and I don't know what that looks like and I don't know who to talk to but I just know that there's a burden upon the leaders of this church that this would be a fresh area to kick into and I'm going to take one more minute to tell you a story because I want to call the men specifically. Friend of mine is a this is right sorry a friend of mine is is a is a DJ and he DJs he was DJing at a bunch of different kind of 21sts and weddings and things like that. And then he he carved out a niche market for himself, DJing at bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, Jewish kind of coming of age parties. And for some reason he kind of put some, some original kind of Jewish music with some dub tracks over it and the people just love it. And he became the like flavor of the community DJ, right? And he said he saw this beautiful thing happening he would go to these DJs, I mean, he would go to these bar mitzvahs and then there would be a time when the dance floor would open and guess what would happen? The men in the Jewish community would, would all get onto the dance floor and they would get the party started. And the kids and the wives weren't on the dance floor yet, right? But these men would get on the dance floor and they'd go for it for like a song And then then after that, everybody would join in and it would be this amazing party that would happen. He says, until he went to this one bar mitzvah and when that kind of party got started, none of the men kind of showed up to that moment. And they kind of all just sat back and they were drinking and carrying on chatting to each other. And he says, that party never got started. So at the next bar mitzvah, when he saw a bunch of men on the dance floor again, kind of getting the party started, he went over to one of the guys and he said, help me understand, what is this guy's thing going first and, and, and why, why, why does it make such a difference? And he says, all throughout kind of Jewish history, The men have played this role of initiating and taking the first step and the community has flourished right in behind that. And when they don't do that, it is just a social observation that the community doesn't flourish to the same degree. And he said, look at that guy over there. Do you know what that is in his bag? And he said, my friend was like, no, what is that? He's like, that's commitment in his bag. That is a second shirt. He said, look around the table in our family. There's a whole bunch of men who are committed to making sure that we establish the life and party of this family. And we all bring second shirts because we know we're going to go for it that hard that we are going to need a second shirt somewhere in the evening. And that whole community, their family was a family. And my friends, uh, the the guy had a name for it. He, He called it second shirt kind of community. And ladies, I'm not in this moment trying to step you down from anything. I actually love the strength of what's happening here in one tribe. There are so many fantastic, strong ladies. I love seeing that happen. But men, let me tell you, somehow in the economy of God, once you get going, the party gets started. I don't fully understand it, but when you don't step up and arrive with your second shirt to be a part of community and the way that God has called you to be a part of community, the community gets robbed of something in the economy of God and what He wants. So I don't say this as a gender-specific thing. I say this predominantly as a man. Don't be on the back foot in this thing, whether it's kids' ministry or community or leadership or whatever it is. But so much of what God has for this community, you're going to get the party started on. That's my leadership observation, my personal kind of observation true in the Jewish community. I think I'm at the end. Let's pray. One Tribe Church, God says these words over you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this covenant, covenant identity, promise, that you gave to Abraham, but that you have given us in Christ. And God, I pray that you would multiply the receiving of, experiencing of, observing of, recognizing of your blessing given to us as sons and daughters of the most high God. But God, I pray that you would catalyze this church into being a river of your goodness and your blessing to the poor and to the kids and to the nations into the city, into the families of this community, God, won't you cause your goodness to flow through this community in unprecedented ways in the days to come? We trust you for it. We believe that you desire to work with us and through us. May you find many Caleb and Joshua-spirited men and women in this community who are willing to say, "Yes, use me, Lord. I am not scared of the giants. I'm not scared of of." of of what this is going to cost. I want my one and only life to cost for your purpose. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Do what only you can do here today, Spirit. Amen.